The marsh seems unnatural tonight, silent and still and melancholic. And while it's tempting to look upon your current surroundings as a state of calm or romantic, such things can be deceiving. For even here the water is crystal clear, but murky below the surface. There, in the distance, those lights are from White Shore Bay, a fishing town founded some two centuries ago. The residents used to frequent the marsh, but over time the swamp became mysterious to them, distant. Cautioning tales began to circulate of supernatural happenings, and little by little those who lived close to the marsh began to fear it. But here, in the water, in this boat, there is nothing to fear. In this episode of Dark Stories from the Campfire, we'll explore two stories from the marshlands of White Shore Bay. For our first story this evening, we present to you, The Hollowed Tree. They were a loving couple, well-liked and popular amongst their peers. When their plans for matrimony were announced, the small village in which they resided lined the streets with lights to celebrate. And when the time finally arrived, it was a large wedding, with a good portion of the community garden being cleared to supply the strings of flowers draped across the reception. And when, a little over a year later, Rosalind, as the wife was known, had given birth to their child, the couple found themselves with a constant stream of visitors offering gifts and advice, even after having left the village and moving to a new cottage just on the edge of the marsh. Pleased to see the child healthy, each guest would constantly remark on how quiet the child was, how content the infant seemed to be. The happy couple took each visitor in stride, thanking them each in turn, and sending them away with fruits from their trees. Six months after the child was born, the husband found himself being called back to the White Shore docks, for he worked at a fishing company and the season was about to begin. Verily, early one morning, the husband left their small cottage near the marsh, leaving his wife and child alone. A neighbor was charged with checking in, making sure Rosalind and the infant had the supplies they needed, which he did each afternoon just before dusk, without fail. All's well, yes, the neighbor would ask Rosalind, standing on the front path facing the house. All's well indeed, Rosalind would answer each time. The neighbor would bow, then head down the road towards his own house. For weeks, the same interaction would play out much the same way, until one day about a month after the husband's leave. On this particular day, the neighbor noticed Rosalind being a little more tired than usual. He asked his question just the same, and she answered in the affirmative, as was her usual custom. Yet rather than bow and remove himself from the walkway, the neighbor stood still and asked again. Rosalind could see the genuine concern in his eyes, and after taking a deep breath, she confessed. To be honest, she began, my sleep has been somewhat broken for nearly a fortnight. Each night, a few hours after I put the baby down, and I am myself asleep, I find myself woken by sounds outside, and of something pushing against the windows. I dare not say anything till now, because at first I thought the sounds, though they were faint, only lasted but a minute. However, their intensity has increased to the point it's as though the sounds were originating from the walls themselves. The neighbor listened thoughtfully to Rosalind, and for many moments didn't answer when she'd finished. At length, he responded, "'Tis a new cottage, yes? Here on the marsh, even on the edge, as you are, 
The moisture can saturate the bones of a house, producing unpredictable noises, as it settles with the water and the temperature changes, see? Give it a few seasons, yes? You'll see the sounds begin to dissipate. Do the sounds wake the child from its sleep? Why, not at all, Rosalind answered. They seem to have not the slightest effect. Well, that proves it, yes, the neighbor quickly replied. Why would it be bothered by such noises? The moisture is the cause, you see. It'll pass. Rosalind nodded in agreement, but before the neighbor retired to his own house for the evening, he promised to send his son along with the powder, guaranteed to ease the mind and induce sleep. Rosalind thanked him as the neighbor bowed and took his leave. Shortly thereafter, the neighbor's son arrived with the sleeping powder. After preparing dinner for herself and feeding the child, Rosalind changed to her sleeping gown and placed the baby into the crib, tucking the blanket around the child's frame and up around the shoulders. For a few minutes, the infant stared back at Rosalind and listened to the gentle song she was singing. A half hour later, the baby was asleep. Rosalind was as well. Having mixed the powder and some water to drink, she had settled in, letting the drug run its course. And while she slept soundly through most of the night, there were a few hazy moments where she thought she heard scratching at the front door before listening to it open, then close a few minutes later. It was the crying of the baby that Rosalind woke to the following morning. Verily, the wailing started her, but she had never heard the infant cry before, and it took some time before she realized the crying was emitting from the crib. Rosalind pulled the infant close to her, rocking her child back and forth, humming softly, hoping to calm the sudden outburst. The swaying back and forth worked for some time. However, throughout the rest of the day and into the evening, the child remained fussy, letting out a sharp cry every so often and refusing to eat or sleep. When dusk arrived, Rosalind stood in the doorway, holding the crying child, waiting for the neighbor to arrive. It was then, as she stood in the doorway, she recalled the scratching from the night before. Shifting the child from arm to arm, Rosalind inspected the doorframe as best she could and noticed thin marks cut deep in the wood around the lock. A key, perhaps, or had it always been there? She wasn't sure, but before she could think any further, the child in her arms began to shudder furiously, began to cry out once again. Rosalind waited several more minutes for the neighbor to arrive, but when it became apparent he wasn't going to show, she was forced to sink back to the house and close the door. For the rest of the night, Rosalind remained alone with the screaming child. The following afternoon, there was a knock on her door. It was the neighbor who had stopped by to apologize for his neglect the previous day, explaining that he had been unexpectedly called to the village to attend a serious matter with a sickly relative. But as he spoke, he could see the fatigue in Rosalind's eyes, and hear, behind her, the wailing child. All's well, yes, the neighbor asked, looking over her shoulder into the house. Rosalind shook her head, and in a moment broke down. Through her own tears, she told the neighbor everything that had transpired since his last visit. Taking off his hat, the neighbor crouched down next to Rosalind. He could feel her frustration and sadness. At length, he leaned in and whispered, At the far side of the swamp, yes, there is someone who could rid you of your current condition and possibly help the child. Rosalind looked at him shocked and asked without hesitation whether he speaks the truth or not. There are rumors, yes, the neighbor told her, but I am certain the person you shall seek exists. However, you must leave at once, yes, for it will soon be dark, and the marsh at night can be treacherous to navigate through. 
Wrapping the infant tightly in a blanket and throwing on her own cloak, Rosalind left the cottage and proceeded towards the direction the neighbor had pointed out to her. Behind her, the sun had begun its descent. The swamp air around her was warm, moss hung low, and what she was unable to push away rubbed against her face before clinging to the cloak, briefly pulling, then letting go. Rosalind made her way slowly through the swamp, each step more careful than the last. For several hours she walked on, holding the child against her chest. She could feel the arms and legs of the child desperately trying to break out of the blanket, which only made her pull the infant closer to her. And though she wasn't entirely sure, at times it sounded as though she wasn't the only one walking in the swamp. The sun had finally set and night covered the sky when Rosalind came upon a house, exposed by the moonlight trickling through the trees. The house was windowless and its wooden sides wet and rotting. The foundation had long since eroded away, giving the house a tilted look, as though it could sink into the water at any moment. Rosalind thought the house abandoned initially and made no plans to stop. It was only when a flicker of light came from one of the windows did she reconsider and approach the house, thinking that maybe this was indeed the place her neighbor suggested. Barely had her knuckles wrapped at the door that had opened to an elderly woman seated behind a table. The house was lit by two candles situated on opposite sides of the room, and Rosalind could see talismans and other charms dangling from the ceiling. The elderly woman did not move as Rosalind entered the house with the infant, but as soon as she began to speak to explain their reason for encroaching upon her doorstep, the woman held up her hand and said, Place the child on the table, move back, and do not speak. Rosalind did as she was instructed and stepped back to the dark corner of their house. The woman stood over the infant, who was now crying out louder than before, and still struggling to free itself from its bondage. At length, she slipped the fingers of her right hand through threaded loops with bones tied at their ends. Three times the old woman balled her hand into a fist, before thrusting her fingers outward and watching the dangling bones collide with each other, the hollowness of each one producing an airy song. At the end of the third spread, the infant before her became entirely still and quiet and looked directly into the elderly woman's eyes. Minutes passed before the woman finally said, This child is not yours. He is not of our world. Not believing such a statement, she began to protest, but once again the woman held up her hand, forcing Rosalind to remain quiet. There are creatures in the swamp, the elderly woman began, who want to be as one of us. At times they leave their young in place of ours, then change their appearance to confuse their mothers, and we are left with no choice but to raise them as their own. What happens to the human child is unknown. The woman's voice began to trail off. What could be done to get the child back? Rosalind asked from the shadows of the house. There is a tree, replied the elderly woman. It is an ancient tree, to be sure, that is located in the middle of the swamp. It's a tree that looks like no other around it for it's broken and hollowed out. Place the child in the tree at midnight, turn and walk 20 spaces away, then wait 15 minutes before returning to the tree. But be warned though, while the creatures will take back what has been returned, they may not return what they have taken. And one last thing, do not look back before the time has elapsed, for if you do, your child will be lost forever. Frightened, Rosalind nodded her head, for what choice did she have? In which direction should I find the tree? Rosalind asked. 
the elderly woman pointed the way forward and told Rosalind the trees located in the deepest section of the swamp and is therefore only accessible by boat. But she need not fear of finding one, for it will be provided. Lifting the infant from the table, Rosalind exited the house, turning briefly around to hear the woman say in almost a whisper, Go now, you haven't much time. The boat awaits around back. The flat water rippled back and forth from the oar as Rosalind pushed the boat forward. The infant lay at her feet and still hadn't moved since the elderly woman's bone ritual. Doubt grew in her head, and Rosalind wondered if placing the child in the tree was worth the risk, as there was some chance that her child, her human baby, would not be returned. Through the darkness and silence, she continued to grow closer to the middle of the swamp. The air had grown thicker, and the surrounding mist whirled, shimmered, and changed shapes. After some time, the boat came to an abrupt stop against the patch of land. Laying down the oar, Rosalind picked up the child and stepped into the soft, mossy grass. She had only taken a few steps when she saw within the mist the hollowed tree. Any doubts Rosalind might have had on her way to the tree had gone, for not a second was wasted when she placed the child within the empty space of the tree. She then turned around, counted out twenty spaces, and waited. Behind her, she could hear water splashing, as though something heavy was walking around. Around the tree, lighter steps were heard running back and forth, accompanied by whispering, though it was impossible to make out what the voices were saying. And the ground around her began to vibrate, and she could feel the bottom of her cloak being tugged on. For a while, this continued, before slowly fading into the background of the swamp. The last sound Rosin heard was though something heavy hitting the ground, then being dragged into the water. Rosin stood there for a while, back turned, listening to the sounds of the swamp. She had not heard anything for quite some time. She was not sure when the fifteen minutes were up, and she was too terrified to turn around too early. So she continued to wait in the darkness of the swamp. It was a soft sound of laughter that chased her fear away. Turning around, Rosin made her way back to the tree. Again, she could hear the soft sound of laughter. Reaching into the tree, Rosalind could see the shiny eyes of her baby and let out tears of joy. Soon thereafter, Rosalind and the baby were back in the boat, rowing away towards the cottage. Before a brief moment, however, the child began to whimper before falling silent. For our second story this evening, we present The Fiddler's Song. The sun had finally taken its rest beyond the horizon, and night was thick in the sky. Where once the song of birds rang from the trees had faded, giving way to the chirping of crickets and the rhythmic evening sound of the swamp. Each night Henry awoke to this. After rubbing his eyes, he felt around his bed, then his body in the darkness, making sure his surroundings had not changed and he was still present. When verified, Henry let out a disappointed sigh and stared off in the direction of the ceiling. After some time, Henry sat up and once again rubbed his eyes before searching the side table for a match to light the single candle next to his bed. When one couldn't be found, he rose and stood still for several minutes, letting his eyes focus on the small window in front of him so they could adjust the dim light coming through. When they had properly adjusted the outline of a violin case and satchel became noticeable against the wall. Picking them both up, Henry exited the doorway of his house and stepped out into the swampy night air. 
The sky was clear, but a thick mist had settled in. Henry took a few steps, breathed in deeply before continuing on, the violin case and satchel bouncing off his knees with each step. He walked a little further, stopping from time to time to tap the ground with his foot. When he finally found firm enough ground, he bent down, placing his effects upon the grass. From the satchel he drew out sticks of freshly dried wood in which to make a fire, and a blanket, corners tied together. Once the fire had been made, Henry pulled the blanket in front of him, untied it, then spread it out before him. Carefully he arranged the contents that had been kept within the blanket. Dried meat, bits of cheese, chocolate, grapes, and a bottle of wine. A perfect offering, he thought. Once he was content with the fire and the arrangements of food, Henry turned his attention to the violin case. Opening it slowly, the sight of the instrument was truly a marvel to him. So beautiful, Henry thought, as he ran his fingers above and between the strings. He thought carefully on what composition he would play that evening. Vivaldi, perhaps, or maybe Haydn. But as he reached for the bow, he already knew what was going to be played. Albanoni's Adagio in G minor, a perfect piece for the evening. Henry started the piece slow, slower than necessary, before picking up his tempo to feel the warmth of the melody. All around him reverberated from the notes and being emitted from the violin, while the firelight before him swayed gently back and forth. At times, he let himself sustain a note for a few seconds, just so he could listen to the distance of the echo. When he finally reached the end, he rested for a moment before beginning anew. Henry had been playing for an hour or so when a faint light emerged from the mist, followed by a darkened figure. Henry noticed this and began to play louder, sharper. Moments later, the figure came into focus, and Henry could see a young man in ragged clothes, stumbling towards him through the water, holding a lantern barely shoulder high. The man came closer. Henry continued to play, only coming to a full rest when the ragged man was standing before him. Please help me, the young man said at length. Henry nodded, placing his violin back in the case. Eat, drink, Henry instructed, while motioning to the offerings in the blanket. Dropping the lantern to his side, the young man fell to his knees, eager to partake in the fruit in front of him. Henry said nothing. When at last the young man had eaten and drank his fill, only then did Henry break the silence by welcoming his visitor to warm himself by the fire. Of course, the young man was more than happy to accept the invitation. After several more minutes of silence, it became the young man's turn to speak. Do you know where I might be? he asked. I was lost and have no recollection of how I arrived at this spot. You see, I was on my way to see my aunt, who has not been very happy recently, for she suffers from depression and I worry about her. Each week I drive down to see her and make sure she does not feel too alone. The young man adjusted himself. Rolling a twig between his fingers, he continued on. Well, at some point my tire blew, and since I knew there was a mechanic a few miles back in White Shore Bay, I decided to be okay to walk back for a tow truck. To save time, I thought it'd be useful to cut through the marsh rather than following the road back. But that was days ago, I think. Each direction I go, the swamp continues. Luckily, I found this lamp, or I would still be wandering around in the dark. Lucky, to be sure, Henry said, and lucky to have found me. Oh, yes, lucky indeed, replied the young man. I can't tell you how relieved I was to hear the music and then find you. Yes, lucky indeed. 
The young man laid back down and looked up at the trees. He was beginning to feel tired, and no sooner had he closed his eyes, he was asleep. Henry was sharpening his knife when the young man awoke. They were both back at Henry's. The young man was strapped to a table, while Henry stood over him, knife in hand. Henry's captive had little time to protest before he plunged the tip of the knife into his abdomen and slid it downwards. The young man let out a blood-curdling scream. Placing the knife down, Henry reached into the incision, felt around, then pulled out the liver, which he then placed upon his captive's chest. Henry then removed his own shirt and loosened the thin threads of rope, keeping his own abdomen together. The young man's last moments were watching Henry place the liver into himself, inspect the teeth marks lining his hips, then tighten the rope back up, securing his new organ inside. Looking over the body of his young visitor, Henry whispered to himself, one step closer. The swamp can be like a labyrinth, for those who get lost rarely find their way out. And in their confusion and panic, they seek out what is familiar to them, sounds that bring them comfort. But there are many sounds in the marsh, and at times those sounds are produced by the dead in order to lure in the living. Because when a person does not die complete, they must take from the living what they need to in order to move on. <laughs>